Hi all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Um, first off, I wanted to give you guys an update. We have launched the Mindful Minds sticker collection. Um, for those of you who didn't see the announcement on social media, we launched it this Monday. Um, it is my birthday week this week, and I wanted it to be um, kind of a happy birthday gift to myself and also to you guys. So we have five limited edition stickers um, that are all religious trauma themed. Um, I love them. I think they're so fun. Some of them are ones that you guys voted on a few months back and, um, they're all relatively affordable. Um, I have, uh, all of them on Etsy and the link to that is in my bio on, um, social media and then also in the show notes. And, um, yeah, I'm really proud of them. They're really fucking cute. And I hope you guys like them. They are limited edition. Um, I have a limited quantity of all of the stickers. So if you want them, go grab them. They probably won't be here for too long. Um, unless it goes really well, <laughs> then maybe they will be here. Um, and then also this is our last guest episode. Um, for those of you who missed the announcement, um, Mindful Minds is going to be taking an indefinite hiatus, and um, this is our last episode with a guest. So, um, first of all, I'm so glad that we're ending on the note that we're ending on because this week we have Dr. Laura Anderson on the podcast. Um, you guys have heard me talk about the Religious Trauma Institute. Dr. Laura is phenomenal at what she does, and I'm so glad that we get to end on this note. Um, I did also want to give kind of a brief content warning. Um, we talk about religious trauma and triggers, but normally when I put trigger warnings, it's for stuff that is detailed and um, – I don't know. When we talk about religious trauma, it's like, oh, here's a specific situation that was really traumatic. And for me, that is more triggering. In this episode, we are ending on a note of healing. So we talk about religious trauma as a whole, but the entire theme of this episode is talking about healing and moving forward and releasing anger and all these different things. So um, I put the content warning there just so you guys are aware of the material, but it's not graphic or intense, if that makes sense. Um, anyways, I hope you guys like this episode. Um, go check out the sticker collection. Like I said, link is in the show notes and in my bio on social media. And um, there's a quick little tiny brief goodbye episode after this one that is posted already. So go check that out if you'd like. Okay, here we go. all and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today we're going to be talking about religious trauma, which surprise, surprise, if you've been here for a little while, we talk about it a lot. Um, but this is an episode I've been um, I've been trying to have for a while because I, I love our guest's work. A lot of you will recognize her name. You'll recognize um, the organizations that she's a part of. We have Dr. Laura Anderson on today, um, which if any of you have ever heard of the Religious Trauma Institute, which I know for a fact we've plugged on the podcast before, um, she co-founded that. And it is, in my mind, like the first thing that I think of when I think of resources. Um, and we've talked a lot on this podcast about how healing from religious trauma can feel really isolating because there aren't as many resources as other types of trauma and other life experiences. And so it can be really difficult to feel like you're supported. Um, so we have her on today and we're just going to kind of go through religious trauma and healing and nuance and all that good stuff. But first of all, welcome and thank you so much for coming on. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. It is wonderful to be here. Yeah, well, I'm. I genuinely. I, we were just talking a little bit before we started recording, mm -hmm. but um, your content has been very helpful to me. I think it's, um, 
I think it's really well done for a multitude of reasons, but I think that your specific Instagram account, um, mm. it, it's very supportive and safe. And I know that when I first started deconstructing, a lot of the spaces that I found online were angry, which is for very good reason. There's a lot mm-hmm. of reasons to be angry. And, mm-hmm. um, that felt really, really, um, fitting for that portion of my like healing journey. And it was like, well, yeah, I have a space to be pissed and I need mm-hmm. to be pissed. And then once I started to stop being pissed, I was like, Ooh, where do I go from here? Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be angry for the rest of my life yeah. about this. I don't have the energy to be angry mm-hmm. for the rest of my life about this. I'm really mm-hmm. tired. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was actually really close to when I started following your page mm-hmm. and I had followed the religious trauma Institute for a while, but I started following your individual page and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, like this feels a lot safer. This feels like mm-hmm. actual kind of like tangible steps towards moving to uh, not even normalcy, but just kind of actually unpacking and healing where before it was a lot of me just kind of like rage <laughs> like rage typing on Instagram sure. and just being like, ah, like this is horrible and I hate this. Um, and I specifically wanted to have you on at the, around this time because you have a book coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about yourself and you can introduce yeah. yourself too, but that was, I, I would love to talk about the book at some point during this conversation as well. Cause I'm stoked. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you who I'm first, and then I want to comment on what you just said, because I think it's really key in why I do what I do. Um, so yes, I'm Dr. Laura Anderson. I am a licensed psychotherapist in Tennessee. I have a very tiny practice um, because I also have an online coaching practice with the company that I started, which is the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery. We focus on... Um, Mostly religious trauma. I, I would say probably 90% of our clients have experienced um, religious trauma, adverse religious experiences, cults, fundamentalism, purity culture, all those fun things. Um, and then, yeah, I, I'm um, trained in various tra- uh, trauma resolution modalities like somatic experiencing, and I've got a complex trauma practitioner certification on like lots of trauma stuff. Um and then I am coming out with a book. I mean, by the time this is airing, the book will have been out for a couple months, but that's okay. You can still purchase it. It's called When Religion Hurts You, um, Healing from Religious Trauma and the Impact of High Control Religion. And that is really, it's an extension of two things. It's the extension of the work that I do like with clients and kind of in online spaces, as well as my own research um, that I use um, in my doctoral research, as well as kind of continued uh, from that point. So um, interestingly with social media, because I do hang out there a lot, um, I I made a decision a long time ago. So we were laughing before we started, like I've been at the Inst- Instagram game for about four years. And I think part of it was because of my age and where I'm at in my own process of healing. I am a bit older than where most people kind of are kind of in that 25 to 35, you know, 20 to 35 or so. Um, I, I'm just a little bit older. So I've been at it a little bit longer. I kind of, I'm, I'm a few steps ahead, not in terms of like, Oh, I'm further than you just, I've been through a little bit more life. And so yeah, whenever life experience. Yeah. 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 So whenever I decided to start my page, um, 
I, I knew there was a lot of really loud people and loud accounts that were angry, that were talking about deconstruction, the harms of religion. Um, and you know, anytime a story would break, it's like they were on it. And, and, and I agree with you very much. I think there's something really necessary about allowing yourself freedom to be accurate and honest about what happened. And that oftentimes includes anger and rage and like letting that, um, just kind of settle in a way that it can help move things through your body. I am very much in agreement with that. But like you said, that's not always a sustainable place to be. You get burnt out quite quickly. You end up, many people end up becoming very fundamentalist just about different things. So they kind of hop from one form of fundamentalism to, to another. And ultimately it keeps your nervous system in this space of, um, hyperactivation all the time, which is what most of us dealt with within religion as well. Kind of always hypervigilant and things like that. So when I started my account, I was like, you know what? I, I don't want that. That, that, that's not really what I'm interested in. I think deconstruction on a cognitive level is incredibly important. And it's all, all almost always the stepping stone into working on religious trauma. Um, but that's not what I, as a clinician am focused on. I'm focused on the healing, the trauma resolution, the recovery right. pieces of it. And so I always say like, my account is very unsexy. Um, I, it's not about <laughs> the big flashy, like look good stuff. You'll never hear me, um, canceling people. You'll never hear me even saying like some of the pastors that I think are the most harmful. I'm never like, you know, going in on them. And it's not because I don't have thoughts about them. I surely do. But I just feel like my, my space, I've tried to really focus on the healing piece of it. Um, the piece that you get to after you're like, okay, I think I'm ready for something more than just being angry and, you know, getting all up in arms every time there's a church scandal, which is like every other week. So yeah, yeah. it's so exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, really can I'm, be. <laughs> I'm trying to find a balance of that on my own account because yeah. The thing that's really tricky about this, and this is like a little bit of a hot take, but the internet and algorithms and engagement likes drama. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) And so if the more that you talk about the popular crazy Mm -hmm. shit that's going on, the more engagement you're going to get. And so when I first started my TikTok account, it was like a lot of like, um, goofy, like, let's talk about Bethel and let's like name drop and just like go in on it. Mm -hmm. And I had someone come to me and say, oh yeah, like you run that meme account. And I was like, I run a what now? Yeah. I'm sorry. Do I run a meme account? I was shocked. (laughs) I was like, wait, that's not what I do. I was like, I'm helping people with the, I was like, I was so confused. And I was like, kind of offended and like, didn't really know I was like, oh, I'm, I think I'm being perceived a lot differently than I, than I was intending. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, me and my sister have talked a lot about this because we actually, um, deconstructed, I mean, we deconstructed is such a, like, it's, I don't have a specific date when I started deconstructing. Mm -hmm. I think it probably started slowly with the doubting Thomas trope when I was like 13. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it started way earlier than when I actually cognitively was saying, Ooh, do I leave? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it was starting a lot earlier than that. But when I first started actually tossing around the idea of, do I exit? Mm-hmm. Um, me and my sister ended up 
deciding to leave uh, literally within months of each other. And we had grown up in a church and and we went to private Christian school our whole Mm -hmm. lives. We both went to private Christian colleges. Like it was like, okay, we're both kind of going to dip out of this. Like who tells mom and dad first? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so we both talked about the fact that, and she actually called me out on it. And I remember feeling incredibly offended Mm -hmm. because I didn't even really know what fundamentalism was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know... I didn't understand what that word meant. Mm -hmm. Um, I just knew that religion was like a harmful and I I knew the black and white thing. So I knew that religion was harmful for me Mm -hmm. because I was, I I was already a pretty black or white person. I'm neurodivergent and like the black and white thinking is already pretty ingrained into my Mm -hmm. brain. And that, um, I was starting to unpack some of that and I was probably like 21 Mm -hmm. at the time. And my sister um, there's a lot going on in the world cause it was like 2020 and there's a lot mm-hmm. of things to be angry about. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things to talk about. There are a lot of, um, people that could be called out yeah. for certain reasons. And so I went in very aggressively and put all of the energy that I had put into being a worship leader and mm-hmm. a prayer warrior and reading the Bible. And I put every ounce of energy from that into like social justice warrior. Yeah. And I did it in a way that was like very, it was, it was immature and it was probably pretty naive. And I was 21 coming Mm, into it and up in arms. And I, I went into it thinking, oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And very quickly realized that all I was doing was being really loud Mm -hmm. and not very humble. And I wasn't listening Mm -hmm. and I wasn't, um, I was still coming into it with the same arrogance that I had while I was in Christianity. Yeah. Where yeah. I was coming into it with the assumption that I knew everything mm-hmm. about everyone. I knew what the right answers were. Sure. Um, I had the right answers despite the fact that I was 21 and had spent pretty much the <laughs> sure. previous 20 years in like a very conservative yeah. bubble. <laughs> so like yeah. I actually had very little life experience. Mm-hmm. Even I had little life experience because of my age, but I also yeah. had even less life experience because of the environment I grew up in. Right. And I was coming at it just like, just arrogant as hell. And mm-hmm. I thought I was right. And I was, I went as far and I've talked about this on the podcast before. I went as far as like DMing people that I hadn't spoken to in years mm. and being like, you need to be doing da, 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 da. It was just so arrogant. It was so aggressive. It was so controlling. Mm-hmm. And my sister was like, Hey, you're still a fundamentalist. Yeah. You're just a fundamentalist on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like immediately got like really yeah. defensive and really angry and really mean. And I wish I could say that like the reason why I, I transitioned out of the anger was because it was intentional and I got humble and I realized that I needed to like take a back seat and breathe and actually focus on some internal stuff that was causing this like intense desire to control. Mm -hmm. And because when you leave religion, your life can feel really out of control and everything is moving and it feels like the rugs constantly get getting pulled out from under you. And so sometimes grasping on to different things that you can like fight for feels stabilizing. Mm -hmm. And I wish I could say that like, I knew all of that. And that was why I like started to calm down. In reality, I got really tired and it was like, I actually don't physically have the energy to be angry anymore because I'm so burnt out. Yeah. And, um, I didn't, there was no conscious choice to start to try to be peaceful. It was just like, okay, what's the next step here? Cause I have no energy left. Um, and I mean, we can even start there. That wasn't where we were going to start, but I, we've never talked about it on the podcast before about where you go from there. And I've, I've had people 
DM me a lot and say, I'm so angry. And I've also had people come into my DMs and send me church scandals and say, oh my God, have you seen this? You should talk about this. And there's, I think there's such a valid, um, like yearning for justice and, and it can be really hard, um, to not feel like that is your sole job is to put out all of the fires Mm -hmm. and bring everybody to trial kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and that can feel like a full-time job Mm -hmm. at the same time. And so it's really exhausting and it can also, it's also not realistic Mm -hmm. because a lot of the folks who are really putting that burden on themselves are, are in their twenties and yeah. like don't have the resources or the availability or the time to bring any yeah. of these people to justice. Cause it's a really big, massive yeah. system. Yeah. And there's a lot that needs to be done in order mm-hmm. for people to actually be held accountable for their actions. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to hold people accountable for their actions, but it can just be really exhausting to feel like that is your sole mission in life Yeah, is to, to do that. Yes. Especially when you're, you actually haven't processed your trauma or healed from it. Mm-hmm. And I don't, healed from trauma, I also think is a buzzword because I don't know if I'll ever be like fully healed. I think Mm -hmm. it's probably going to be a day by day thing for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but what, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? That was such a like massive brain dump, but I don't really know a question to ask after that to to be super honest. Yeah. Well, I just want to normalize again, like what you're saying in terms of the anger piece and coming out like guns a blazing to me feels Mm -hmm. very normal. Um, and I, I do think that that can be a really necessary piece in healing. Like the, the anger shows that something that mattered to us was violated. In this case, it's like mm-hmm. our very personhood and the humanity of so many other people. And so anger is a very natural, normal response to that. Now, what we do with that may or may not be helpful or unhelpful, you know, or, or toxic, maybe ways of dealing with it or healthier ways of dealing with it. Um, but I think it's pretty normal and even necessary to be able to, to use anger to our benefit, but it is exhausting because anger is a very active emotion. It requires action to move through us. And so if you're constantly in that space of hyper arousal or hyper activation, because we're angry all the time at the latest church scandal, or this person who's doing this or saying this or not doing this or not saying this, it, it wears on our nervous system the same way it did within religion when we are angry that, you know, the world is not following God. And so it really is just mirroring the dynamics that we're already used to. And I think it's important to note that within high control religion, uh, sorry, cults, fundamentalism, things like that, we, we are not taught how to think. We're only taught what to think. So when we leave groups like that, Mm. we don't have skills necessarily there. We don't just like get out and they're turned on all of a sudden. It's like, Oh, I know how to be curious and evaluate through things and, and not just follow the loudest voice in the room or whatnot. We have to learn those things. And on top of that, many of us are very familiar with being in a hyper aroused nervous system state. So constantly in that space of fight or flight, many people were taught things like you always have to be on guard. Uh, You know, like you always have to be moving forward in your walk with God. Otherwise you're backsliding, which of course is like a big, Mm -hmm. no, no, you don't want that. So you're kind of always in this place of being on guard. So when we get out of that, that, um, that our, our, our nervous system, the way our nervous system works is that it lends towards familiarity and, and that helps us 
what or gives the illusion of safety. So if something's familiar, then it feels safe. And so when we get out of these systems, we go, oh, okay, this feels so much better, right? Because I'm not having to, you know, go knock on people's doors or stand on the corner and, you know, a corner of the street and preach. But then that starts to feel really uneasy in us because we've never experienced that sense of calm or peace or relief or actual mm-hmm. safety coming from within us. And so we then do tend to kind of gravitate back over towards other leaders, groups, um, activities, causes that might kind of ignite that same sort of activation within us. And, and it's not, um, quote unquote bad, right? It's like, yeah, these are really harmful things that we're talking about. And yet we're just replicating it. And so I think that it can oftentimes be a good idea. It doesn't, I mean, in an ideal world, you would come out of that and you'd immediately have therapeutic support and people that can Mm -hmm. help walk you through this. And we just know that that's not possible for a myriad of reasons. But I remember back in my uh, Calvinist days, um, whenever I was, you know, coming into like my early adulthood years. So I'm like 17, 18, 19. And I'm hearing about like reformed theology, like the principles of it, TULIP, right? So, and, and I remember hearing somebody say like, yeah, I think whenever you adopt like your Calvinist theology or whatever, you should be locked in a room for two years because you, you become so annoying to everybody else because all you want to do is talk about this. Right. And I laugh because in some ways, I think that's true for coming out of high control religion. Um, and it's not, it's not a, a knock against anybody, but it's going, you get so impassioned about this cause, like, oh my gosh, here's this new information. I remember, you know, when I was, you know, first coming into and rec- or understanding Calvinism and Reformed theology, I was like, everybody needs to know this. Like I have to share Mm -hmm. this with everybody. Every conversation needs to revolve around this. I need to engage in all these debates. I need to, I need people to know the truth. And I think that's true when we're coming out of these spaces. And I want to validate the fact that it's probably coming from a really good place of wanting people to know the truth and being so impassioned that, you know, this thing that you've been able to see and you go, oh my gosh, I see how much this is harming other people. I don't want them to be harmed. So we come out of that and we proselytize and try to, you know, like let everybody know the good news of the gospel of the Mm -hmm. world. Um, Mm-hmm. But it can oftentimes then turn into the same thing until we have these moments that we either choose or are forced upon us where we go, I cannot sustain this. And that's, that's usually when people land on my page. Um, but that's yep. <laughs> usually where people start to go, okay, there's something more than just cognitively deconstructing. Um, there's mm-hmm. something more than simply untangling these beliefs because there's things happening in my body. Um, you know, there's, there's like, um, like cognitive dissonance of like, I say, I believe this thing, but my body's having the opposite response. This feels very confusing. And that's where we start to take like a little bit of a deeper look into, uh, how fundamentalism oftentimes lives in our bodies. What is trauma? How do we resolve that? And that's, that's where I specialize. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. I think the point of how in high control religion, there is this pressure to always move forward or your black backsliding is, is actually, um, 
I think that translates as well. I think so much of it translates. I think it just kind of replicates itself and you're, you're living a lot of like a kind of a parallel life where it's like, I'm not in religion anymore, but like, I'm still experiencing a lot of the pressures and a lot Mm -hmm. of the fears and a lot of the behavioral patterns. It's just kind of directed at something else. Right. And I know with the, with the always moving forward and the pressure to grow, Because there used to be like in religion, it was the pressure to grow my relationship with God. And when I left, it was the pressure to heal as fast as Mm -hmm. physically possible Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to just like put my nose down and like heal, God damn it. And I was like, I'm going to do this fast and I'm going to do it hard and it's going to be successful and I will be patched up in a year and we will be ready to fly. And I just was like, the pressure was so intense. And I think it was because I had spent my whole childhood and actually my whole life, because I, I mean, I grew up like born out of, out of the womb was in Christianity and yes. then didn't actually exit a religious environment. Even if my brain was kind of starting to unpack some stuff, mm. I didn't exit an actual religious environment until I was 20. Sure. Um, yeah. I was actually, actually 21. Um, and so I wasn't the, I think for me, one of the things I've learned the most is the distance of uh, So I've had so many people say, what's the first step that you took to like start to unpack mm. some of this? And I was mm-hmm. like, distance. <laughs> yeah. I got away. Like mm-hmm. that was genuinely the first step was mm-hmm. like, I stopped going to church and yeah. I gave myself a beat to figure out, hmm, how does this feel when I'm not surrounded by yeah. all of these beliefs and all mm-hmm. of these patterns? Mm-hmm. Do I feel guilty? Do I feel bad that I'm not going? is it actually way less stressful than I thought it was going to be? And that was what I experienced was I experienced it actually like I, a lot of people have told me, Oh, I felt so guilty. I felt so bad that I wasn't going to church for me. I felt, Ooh, I don't care. <laughs> like I was yeah. like very apathetic and just felt like I thought I was going to be really guilty. And I thought I was going to feel the weight of like God's smite upon me. And I didn't, I was just yeah. kind of like, uh, Oh, okay, this is really not that big of a deal. And I don't, I don't feel stressed that I didn't pray today. If anything, it was like a mental load taken off my shoulders that my, uh, daily holy to-do list had shrank. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have to cross off all these boxes of like, I have to read the Bible today. Cause I was really, I I had a really hard time keeping up with the to-do lists Mm -hmm. and I had a really hard time balancing that. And I now know a lot of that is because I'm neurodivergent and like having all of these tasks and not really feeling passionate about them, but having them on my to-do list is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't a big Bible reader Mm. and I would see my friends journaling and doing word studies and really enjoying it. And I always felt like I was kind of behind the curve and Mm. felt like, oh, I need to catch up. I need to get better at this. Oh gosh, like I I only pray when I need something and like I really my whole journey as a Christian was just day after day after day feeling like I was almost there and had almost grasped what it was like to have a relationship with God. Yeah. But I never really figured it out and mm-hmm. it just and and so one of the things that bothers me the most which I get this comment all the time is comments on social media from religious folks saying oh, you, you just didn't really try or you didn't put in enough time or you mm-hmm. weren't actually faithful. Mm-hmm. And from my personal experience, it was the exact opposite of that. It was me trying so hard that I was so burnt out. 
and so hard that I had no social life and so hard that I had nothing outside of religion. It was like, it was all I had. And I was always pushing, 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 pushing to move forward. And I didn't want to backslide. I wanted to grow, 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 grow. And then when I left, I was really surprised at how much I didn't miss it mm-hmm. and how much I miss, I miss the community. I miss the sure. people. I missed having something to do on Wednesday nights. I did mm-hmm. not miss the actual like faith yeah. because I never felt like I really got it. I felt like yeah. I was always chasing it and never achieved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I started healing, healing, um, yeah. quote unquote, I don't, it just, just working on it, I guess. Yeah. And I started trying to unpack some stuff and I realized I was doing the exact same thing. It was like, mm-hmm. how many books can I buy on trauma? How many workbooks can I buy? How many podcasts can I listen to? How many um, documentaries can I watch? Mm-hmm. How many things can I intake to yeah. go, 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 get this healing thing whipped out in a few years, call it a day. And I always felt like I was chasing it. And I remember I like, I was, I was simultaneously healing from an assault. And so I was doing these two healing journeys at the same time. And I remember I hit an anniversary for my assault and I was pissed. I was just like, God damn it. I'm still triggered. This is so stupid. I've been working my tail off to heal from this and it's not working. And it, it, it just reached a level of burnout where it was just like, I can't, I can't be, I even I, I told my therapist, I was like, I, I would never, I would always go to therapy and just talk. Mm. Just talk, 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 talk. Yeah. And then she would say like, okay, well let's try EMDR or let's try this. And I would be like, that's okay. Like, yep. Yeah. Actually, I don't really want to. (laughs) And I finally like went to her and said like, Hey, like, I don't, I think the reason why I don't want to do all like the active steps is not because I don't want to heal, but it's because in the free time in between therapy sessions, Mm-hmm. I'm spending so much of my free time also working on healing and learning yeah. and unlearning and unpacking and crying and having panic mm-hmm. attacks and trying to figure all this out that by the time I get to therapy, I just want to like update you on all of the work that I've done and get a pat on the back and be told I did a good job and then leave and not do any more work. And I was like, so I can't do EMDR on top of this. Like I, I, I I'm so burnt out on healing. I cannot heal yeah. anymore. Like I have yeah. to be done. And she was like, okay, like we don't actually have to meet every week. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to come here every week. It's fine. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. can we do like once a month? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. She was like, you could get some hobbies. Like try yeah. to like go mm-hmm. do something else. Like try painting. You like to paint. Like yes. just try to like, you you can take a break from this. And it hadn't even occurred because you're not allowed to take a break from your relationship with Jesus. And those two things, I was just paralleling it in a different way. So it hadn't even occurred to me that I was allowed to take a break. All right. For those of you who've been here for a bit, you've heard me talk about my pup, Stevie Ray. When Stevie was a puppy, she had some undiagnosed food allergies that resulted in her being super itchy. Luckily, we found Scouts Honor. Scouts Honor's products are probiotic and are lifesavers for pups with sensitive skin who are prone to itchiness or if you just want your pup to have the softest fur ever. We exclusively use Scouts Honor and have for the past two and a half years. 
We love their unscented shampoo and conditioner and their probiotic paw spray, which is amazing for Frito toe pups. On top of their amazing products, with every bottle bought, they provide a meal for an animal in need. If you have a pet, I would highly encourage looking into Scout's Honor. And listeners of the podcast can use the code MindfulMinds for 20% off of a purchase of $50 or more. Again, that's code MindfulMinds for top-notch doggy grooming. I have been asked from so many people, how did you start your podcast? The answer is simple, Buzzsprout. I had no production experience when I started the show, and I used Buzzsprout's blog and website to teach myself how to get started. Buzzsprout not only lists your show on all major streaming platforms, but you also get access to a website, audio players, and custom sound bites. If you are looking to launch your dream podcast or you're looking for a new platform, Buzzsprout is the way to go. You can follow the link in our show notes to receive a $20 credit towards your membership, and you will be supporting our show. Happy podcasting. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty common um, for all of the reasons that you just mentioned. And, you know, I, my, my doctoral work really was, is on the process of healing. Like, what does it look like to be in living in a healing body? And I am intentional to not use the word living in a healed body because I do believe Mm. that healing is an ongoing process, but I don't mean that in the way of like, you have to be down in the depths of despair all the time, untangling, unpacking, undoing, you know, in therapy five times a week, like whatever the goal of healing really is living. So, you know, that that's where it really differs from like this sanctification journey that so many people are on within religion, where there is this end goal of heaven. So you bypass Mm -hmm. all of life on earth because I'm just trying to get to heaven and everything here doesn't really matter because this isn't, this doesn't mean much anyways. There's always heaven that we're trying to get to. Whereas healing, you know, we, I think many of us start off with this idea of like, I just need to get to this point where I'm healed. So like you said, give me a year, Mm -hmm. give me two, three tops, and then I'm going to be at this place of being healed. But when we do that, you know, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, it almost never goes like that. Um, (laughs) Second of all, when we kind of really like narrowly defined, this is what it looks like to be healed. Oftentimes we become discouraged because that's probably an inaccurate picture because it's coming from a very wounded place. But it also means that we miss every single moment of every single day where we are living in this healing way where it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. I did make a different choice. Oh, I did lean into connection. Oh, I did set a boundary. And if we say, okay, the only way that I'm healed is if I look this specific way and I feel this specific way and I do these things this specific way then we miss everything in between. And that picture probably keeps getting further and further and further away, which then means, oh my gosh, I'm doing something wrong again. I've got to just try harder, work harder, read more books, go to therapy more. So we're recreating this process. I usually like to invite people to take like the end goal off. Like here's what this picture of healing looks like, or here's what the finish line looks like. Um, and that can feel really overwhelming, right? Because it's like, oh my gosh. So like I'm I'm never I'm never gonna get to this point where I respond this way or have, you know, these relationships or feel this way physically or whatever. And it's like, I don't, I don't know actually. I don't know what that's going to look like. And and there will be times of grief where you have to go, you know what? I this thing that I was really wor- hoping would happen as a result of the work I'm doing. It is not happening and it's not fair. And I can acknowledge that. Like, it's not fair. Um, And yet, if I 
if I let other things count as healing also, then that's just, that's one thing, but there's many others then that I'm doing okay. And so I do think that it's important to frame it in that way, because otherwise we do get stuck in that old way from um, high control religion. But I think too, it can, it can be really exhausting. I know that um, I, I think it's really tempting as human beings. Like we want certainty, right? We want to mm-hmm. know, and that's part of the appeal of religion is there's like certainty and specific rules and things like that. So when we come out of that and we're going, I'm wounded, I'm feeling this, like, I don't know what's happening in my life. I want to look for information that will help me organize and understand my experience. And if I can organize and understand it, then I'm good. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, great and understanding what happened to us is very important in my experience. However, unless and until we get into our body and understand how that's actually living in us, we're going to be stuck in needing to get just more information, more information, more information. And then we have these moments where it's like, like you said, oh my gosh, I'm triggered. Damn it. That means none of this has worked. And it's like, no, actually, (laughs) healing is not about never getting triggered again. It's about when I get triggered again, I have access to different resources, coping mechanisms, internal safety, connection, things like that. And we go, that's actually the living experience of healing. Um, not that these things won't ever happen. I think that's one of the things that I have to work on with clients the most is like, they'll come back, you know, they'll, they'll have, you know, a week or two in between their sessions and they're like, oh my gosh, I got so triggered and I blah, 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 blah. And I did this and that, and, you know, and, and I did my coping skills, but like, I can't believe this happened. And I'll like usually start chuckling, like not in a mean way, but, um, they're like, why are you laughing? And I'm like, because you did exactly what you were supposed to do. They're like, but I got triggered. I'm like, so I was like, what, what did you do with that? They're like, well, I did this coping mechanism and I called this friend and I, you know, took a break and I was like, so, so what's wrong with that? And they're like, I shouldn't have gotten triggered. I was like, no, 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 no. Like you just got triggered. That's it. Like neutral. Something happened. You yeah. got triggered. You could not have planned for it. Um, and even if you could have no big deal, like something happened and you responded to it a different way than you would have a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. And yeah, it kind of shook you for a little bit, but it didn't put you back down that deep, dark shame spiral that you've been used to going into for so many years. So I think that having that understanding, you know, that healing really is about living can be so, so, so important because it gives you permission then to go to the painting class and to say part of my healing is finding joy and things that um, I absolutely delight in and things that help me kind of further like engage in my identity of who I am, the fullness of that. And so I think all of that is really important in this process, this lifelong journey of healing. Yeah, that's so well said. And I think I've, I've, I relate to that so much of the idea of like showing up and being like, I got triggered. Like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I was just talking to a friend about this because we were talking about our different traumas we've experienced at different parts of our lives and the age difference and how, um, 
I started like actively trying to unpack trauma when I was 18 Mm. and it was mainly just because I got out of my house and got slapped with a big trauma at 18 and quite literally just didn't have the capacity. I was a big dissociator Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I just didn't have the capacity to keep stuff in my little emotional cave anymore. My cave just kind of like broke open and Mm -hmm. I was like, well, fuck, I guess we're processing now. (laughs) We're going. Yep. (laughs) Good to know. Um, And so it was very unintentional. And that was one of the things that was really frustrating about the way that I feel like I've Mm -hmm. healed and started to heal and process is I, a lot of it was unintentional. A lot of it was just kind of like accidental. We've stumbled upon this. My, my body told me it was all done. And so now we have to process Mm -hmm. like, and so mimicking it and figuring out the steps that I like there, Mm -hmm. it's not like it was an intentional choice. Yeah. And so trying to go backwards and think, okay, um, okay. Well, when I, I received this trigger, I dealt with it better. How did I deal with it better? Mm-hmm. Like what steps did my brain take to get me there? Cause yeah. I, it's like a lot of it just kind of is like, mm-hmm. I, I almost black out. Like mm-hmm. I don't have like a, a memory or a right. thought process of how I got there. Mm-hmm. And I've had to just kind of come to terms with that and just acknowledge that something in my body has figured out how to deal with some of this better. And a lot of that is a lot of the work that I've put in of reading and studying and therapy. I I might not be able to write down all the ways that I got there Mm -hmm. and how I dealt with the situation better, but obviously something that I'm doing is working. Something is taking, something is like being planted in and it's Mm -hmm. sticking Mm -hmm. and my brain is learning this like autopilot to go into that isn't an autopilot that is, um, dysregulated. Like it's learning how to kind of do emotional regulation and autopilot, even Mm -hmm. though I don't really know how I got there. Um, yeah. we talked about me and my friend were just talking about um, traumas and how mm-hmm. um, there are there's a there, there's traumas that I experienced when I was 18 that I still will get triggered and it'll really throw me off because I'm like whoa I thought I was like chill with that and mm-hmm. it, it'll really like all of a sudden I have tears in my eyes and I'm mm-hmm. like okay ooh, where did we get how did we get here like mm-hmm. how let's let's work myself down and we were talking about the time heals all saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were both like, it's such an annoying saying because it's like, damn, what a stupid answer. It's mm-hmm. like, just wait and like time will help. Yeah. And we were talking about how we think one of the reasons why that saying is annoying and can be frustrating for some people is because it's the assumption is that time just heals all. Yeah. And not that time plus like actual active work and right. unpacking heals. Right. Yeah. Because for me, just waiting for years doesn't do anything. But if I'm working through therapy, time does help because yes. I'm getting further and further distance from the situation. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. also actively unpacking and talking about it and processing and self-reflecting and also mm-hmm. learning that, you know, I made mistakes too and gaining some humility and reflecting on ways that I could have done better and not just reflecting on ways that other people could have done better. And all these yeah. different steps that kind of mm-hmm. it, it sometimes can uh, encompass the big capital H healing. <laughs> That's like sure. this big idea. Um, and we were just talking about how some of the traumas we experienced in high school mm. um, are not as like, they're just not as scary anymore. And yeah. we can look at it and they, we still will get triggered and we still sometimes will have things where it kind of slaps us in the face and we're like, Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to our, autopilot of emotional regulation and try mm-hmm. to like figure out where we, how we can yep. deescalate. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this because she had experienced a trauma that was more recent. And she was saying, I feel like this is never going to go away. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. it's going to ruin everything. And mm-hmm. I was like, 
you've been through an extensive amount of trauma in your life. Yeah. And there are other traumas that you went through six years ago Mm -hmm. that are now smaller Mm -hmm. and they feel smaller and they're not as impactful. They're not as scary. Um, you don't think about them all the time. They don't, they don't encompass your brain on a daily basis. It's not, maybe you get triggered once every few weeks or once every few months or once a year, Mm -hmm. but it's not a daily, you're not trudging through the mud on a daily basis on this. And I don't think that's because there's time. I think it's because there's time and you also worked your ass off to try to unpack these things and you didn't put them in that little Mm -hmm. dissociation. Cave. Mm-hmm. You took them out. You sifted through them. You talked yeah. with people about them. You you uncovered some of the really ugly, icky stuff that felt really uncomfortable to uncover. Mm-hmm. And now you're in a space where it's still there, and maybe it will never go away. But it slowly starts to be less raw. Mm-hmm. And she was having a hard time with this new trauma, thinking it's raw. Mm -hmm. Like, is it, is it ever going to be not raw? And I think you can have that kind of like, um, it can get really easy to get stuck in that narrow viewpoint of Mm -hmm. not seeing the hindsight and not seeing, um, and it's way harder when you've never experienced it. Like when I was 18 and I'd never experienced Mm -hmm. the time Mm -hmm. I would have adults tell me it's so much better when you're in your thirties. And I was like, that's not helpful. (laughs) I'm in my twenties and it's not better. Mm -hmm. Um, and it it's way harder to do everything the first time around. Mm-hmm. It just is. It's hard yeah. to do things for the first time. It's hard to leave your family's house for the first time and start to unpack that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to leave a religion for the first time and realize that you were never taught a lot of really valuable mm-hmm. life skills. And now you have to teach yourself. Like yeah. all of that first time stuff is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And for me, at least the more times that I've gone through things since that first time. Yeah the more I come into it with some assurance and a little more stability mm-hmm. where it's like, Ooh, I've done this before. I can do it again. Mm-hmm. I I've been traumatized before and, and it can, it can even be multiple like little T traumas coming out of a big T trauma. Mm-hmm. If it's like mm-hmm. my big T trauma is this big thing. And I start to slowly realize there's all these other things attached mm-hmm. to it. It just feels more palatable. Like yeah. the more that I start to kind of get my, get my footing mm-hmm. a little bit and feel yeah. like, not all of this is so new all the time. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that's most overwhelming about mm-hmm. realizing that your religion traumatized you is yeah. it's all new. It's all new. You're learning everything. You're mm-hmm. unpacking everything. You don't have anything that feels stable, which yeah. is why something like painting can be really encouraging. Cause it's yeah. like, well, God damn it. I can paint a tree and it's a tree and I don't have to learn how to paint a tree. Like <laughs> it's a tree and I did it and we're done yeah. compared to, okay, well now I have to learn that. I guess I was lied to about how many ribs I have. <laughs> now we got to go unpack that. Yeah. It's just, it can be, it can be hard to do everything for the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it's really important to be patient with yourself um, on that end in terms of like, For most people who grew up in high control religion, it's pretty much everything that you are Mm -hmm. learning for the first time in most cases and or learning that the opposite of what you taught, what you were taught is actually probably what is more accurate to the truth. Um, I think it's important. One of the analogies I use with healing is that it's very similar to like if you were going to start working out in a gym towards this goal, maybe running a marathon or doing like an Ironman competition, right? So this idea of like time heals all wounds, right? So if you just go to the gym and just go there, like you just sit there, like by the time the competition comes, 
you don't have the strength and the endurance and the stamina to be able to do that, right? And maybe the first day you go to the gym, you can't run super fast or lift super heavy weights. Um, and if you do, it's probably going to put your body into a lot of pain and, mm-hmm. and you're probably going to have to, uh, have a very, very long time to recover. But with trauma healing, some of the things that we do is we go, if we start slow, but go consistently. So if I go to the gym in this analogy and I lift five pound dumbbells and I walk on the treadmill for say 20 minutes at three miles per hour. It's like, gosh, well, I didn't really break up a sweat or I don't really feel that sore. And it's like, but that was actually tolerable, right? My body could do that. And in fact, I can go back the next day and do that again. And maybe even add just a little bit more time or a little bit faster pace or a little bit more weight to my, my, my uh, dumbbells. And over time you start to realize like, oh, I'm getting the hang of this. And, and then when the big competition comes or whatever, I'm, I'm ready. I'm like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to deal with these things. But the other piece of it too, with that analogy of working out is like, okay, I live in the South. It is like football central, um, from September through January, it's like every weekend, everybody watches football. And so there's these great games, right? But it's like the players go home after the game and in between Saturday to the following Saturday, they practice and, and they practice and they practice and they practice. And so then when it's game time, they know what to do, right? Their bodies Mm -hmm. know what to do. And I think that's the same with, when we're talking about trauma healing too, when we look at, can we start practicing these things in the everyday moment? So for instance, like, um, using some grounding skills, finding safety inside myself, orienting yourself to like, what is the present moment? Um, you know, kind of leaning into different coping mechanisms, connections, things like that. When I can do those in the non-crisis moments, it starts mm-hmm. to build up that like tolerance essentially. So that in the crisis moments, like the game day, like, I'm not like, oh shoot, what was that? What was that thing that I was told in therapy like four weeks ago? Right. Yeah. It's going, oh no, my body actually knows how to do this because I've been doing this already. Just like the football player goes like, I don't have to learn how to do this play on game day. I've practiced this so many times that on game day, when the coach calls this, my body just does that because it has access like that muscle memory essentially to know this. And so I think the same can be true when we're talking about trauma of going like time can help. Sure. Like when we had time to practice time to engage in different like coping mechanisms and tools and resources so that when the big moments come, we actually have a wider scope to, to choose from. And that's not to say that things may, uh, that they'll never hurt or that we would never be triggered or that bad things wouldn't happen. Certainly that, that can be the case. And yet, um, when we're starting to look at like, Hey, can I bring these practices into my daily life rather than just putting information in my head? Um, then these moments come and maybe they don't feel as intense as when I was 18. And this is the first time I've ever experiencing this. 
Um, and mm-hmm. even if they do feel as intense, maybe I have extra skills afterwards, you know, like after the thing is over that I can tap into or people that I can reach out to that might help me be able to navigate this in a different way. And those are things that I didn't have back then too. Oftentimes when we're talking about trauma resolution, we're talking about allowing our bodies to do or have access to the things that we should have had back then, but for whatever reason, didn't. And so, um, so that, that's what we're wanting to do. And when we're triggered, that's what our bodies are looking for. And when we are, when big, crazy things happen to us in the present day, our bodies are still looking for that. And so sometimes when we are used to kind of having that time and space that we've been working on some of these, what my, some people call like really tiny things, but in the moment it's like, oh, I can give myself the thing that I, that I need to support myself in this situation, or I can ask for that. Um, or I can connect to another people who, or person who might help me be able to navigate through that. And that's really important. And it does mean that we handle things differently than in the present moment, or like in the case of your friend, it's like, it does feel big and raw. And yet I have these skills within me that I can address this and, and mm-hmm. I will navigate this. And Um, And that can be really, really helpful. Yeah. That's such a good point. The practice thing is so it's, it's, I think one of the reasons why it's been exhausting for me personally, and I don't know if anyone will relate to this. I'm I'm sure they will. Cause I feel like anything that anyone says ever at any point in life, someone will relate to. Sure. (laughs) Um, But I, I think that one of the reasons why it's exhausting um, or even exhausting to think about, I actually think is the better way to put it. Cause I think in practice, it's not as exhausting, mm-hmm. but I think the, the thinking about it and the like putting it on your to-do list can be mm-hmm. like daunting. And I think part of the reason for that is, um, you're not taught to, um, well, I mean, you kind of are taught to practice in religion, but I think that there's kind of this assumption, at least in Oh, you know what? That maybe that's why it's exhausting. I'm going to correct myself. I think that's why it's exhausting because I think that it's another. I, I was talking about at the beginning of this episode about the to do list mm-hmm. of the reading your Bible and doing mm-hmm. the scriptures and going to church, mm-hmm. and that was a to do list that was really exhausting for me yeah. in religion. And I think that one of the mm-hmm. reasons why I have really had a hard time committing to the idea of practicing these coping skills is because it's like. I just got out of this thing where I had this to-do list of things I had to do and they never worked. And I think there was this discouragement of like, I, I've had so many people tell me, and this is to be fair, this I'm in my opinion was, was misinformation, mm-hmm. but I had a lot of people tell me, read the Bible, memorize mm-hmm. this verse. And that was given to me as an answer to right. anxiety and as an answer to depression, as an right. answer to stress or triggers or trauma. Mm-hmm. And so I think in my head, it's like, I'm not just going to go do other things now and try things like, you know, put yeah. at more things to my to-do list. Yeah. And it's so funny because, um, I've, I've accidentally activated those skills Mm -hmm. in a crisis situation Mm -hmm. and they've worked Yeah, (laughs) like those new coping skills. Mm -hmm. I've accidentally started taking deep breaths and I'm like, Oh, this is working. Or I've accidentally, um, communicated in a, um, 
using I statements in a, in a conflict. And, and it's been way better received. All these things that were kind of, I, I kind of accidentally fell upon because they were planted in my brain from therapy or books mm-hmm. or whatever, and they stuck somewhere. Um, but I think it can be, it can be daunting because you're, you're a lot mm-hmm. of folks are coming out of religion with this old to-do list that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And they're also coming out of it and learning all these new things. And I think the learning mm-hmm. burnout can be very mm-hmm. exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can, it can be, um, and, and that was one of the things that I think I, I wish if, if there's anything I wish I think I could have like redone and gone back and done over again, it would have been just going slower, just going slower and like taking more breaks and more time with the way that I was attempting to heal and doing more painting classes and going and taking walks. And it didn't all need to be how many breathing exercises can I do in a day? It's like, we can you take, you can actually like take a breath and then move on and go eat some chicken nuggets and like call it a day. Um, but for, we're kind of approaching the end of our time. And I wanted to ask you some practical applications for this kind of stuff. If you have someone, and I'm speaking for myself here, because this has always been something that I have struggled with is going to therapy, getting all these really great coping skills, reading books, getting the lists of really cool things to try mm-hmm. and feeling really discouraged and exhausted and just feeling like mm-hmm. the, I just don't have the energy to practice them. And then mm-hmm. when I get to the game day, I'm like, oh fuck, I don't remember mm-hmm. what I was supposed to do. And I, it's not in my muscle memory and I, yeah. I'm frozen in time a little bit. And like, mm. there was something I was supposed to do <laughs> yeah. this way. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. And, um, what are your, what's your advice to, to practice? Mm-hmm. Is it trying something once a day? Is it doing mm-hmm. a few breathing exercises once a day? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, cause I know there's also the, the huge um, question of what works for you because not every coping skill works right. for every person. Mm-hmm. So what are, what do you advise your clients to, yeah. to start those practice and those little gym reps? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important that, okay, when we're looking at like the quote unquote practicing within religion versus where we're at now, the practicing Mm -hmm. within religion is all externally focused. What do Mm -hmm. I need to do? You tell me, what what do I need to do to be okay for you or you, whoever you are telling me what I need to do? There is still a complete divorce from self. Like Mm. I'm not encouraged to tune into my own body to say, what do I need? Well, actually what I need here is not to go read my Bible. I need to go rest or Mm. I need to go enjoy something. And so that's just like a slight way to start to reframe and differentiate what this practicing piece is from religion versus like what we're looking for now. One of the reasons that I love somatic experiencing as like a healing trauma modality rather than even EMDR, which I'm also certified in, is you do not need another person to help you with the somatic experiencing thing. It is about your body, your internal experience and what you need and you becoming an expert at that. And so when I'm working with clients, of course, I will give them ideas. Okay, we could try this or this or this or this. But I ultimately am like, what feels right for you? Like what, what is it? So maybe like deep breathing practice, like I could do that. Okay. But the other thing with that is what we're looking for is stuff that's already within us. It's just been kind of suppressed and covered up because we've been told that our bodies and all the information that our bodies give us uh, um, is evil and sinful. And so 
I think for so many people coming out of high control religion, it's learning to tune back into your body. And I think that can start in really small ways. And it doesn't even have to start in like, do this breathing practice or, you know, come into the room and and do some grounding techniques. Like literally getting into your body is noticing when do you have to go to the bathroom and Mm -hmm. doing it? Or when is my body tired and I need to rest? And maybe that's not even sleeping. Maybe it's just like, I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to just sit down. Um, Or maybe I'm noticing that I'm really hungry. I'm going to eat or I'm really full. I'm going to stop eating, which I know sometimes the eating thing can add in some additional complications, which is why I usually start with the restroom because it's like so neutral, like you're going to have to do it anyways. So like, why not put some attention around it? But it really is starting to tune back into your body. And to your point too, you go like, okay, I'm going to take a painting class and I'm going to notice, do I enjoy it? What tells me that I enjoy it? Oh, I feel Mm -hmm. lighter afterwards. Okay. That's all I need to know, right? Like I just need to know that it's a little bit lighter. So I think it's important to recognize like we don't need to necessarily come up with like a list of you must do this 10 times a day and you know, whatever. Now I have some clients that prefer that they will set alarms in their phone that say, Hey, do your grounding technique. And they will take a minute every time that alarm goes off and they will do it. And that's helpful for them. But they've decided that that's what they need. There's other See, and people. And I want to be that person and I'm yeah. not. <laughs> and that's okay. And so for you, it might be like, you know what? I'm going to pick a color this week. Green. Okay. I'm sorry. That's just the first color I saw. And <laughs> I'm going to just, every time I go into a room, I'm going to just look around. I'm going to notice all the things that are green in that room. Mm-hmm. And it sounds so simple, but what it does is it starts to bring us into the present moment, which allows Mm -hmm. us to be in our bodies, right? It shows us maybe more information. And so it doesn't have to be something that you're like, okay, check this off or whatever. It has to be really hard. I've got to sit down. I've got to get my surroundings right so that I can breathe for 10 minutes and then I'm good. It's like, no, actually I'm going to just like look for all the green around me. I I have a client who does that literally like while she's driving down the road, not in a distracting way, but in a way to keep her present where she'll be like, I need to look for this color car and I'm going to just be present and I'm going to look for these cars. I'm going to notice, oh, there's a white car. There's another white car. There's another white car. And that helps me stay in my body, be present. So I'm not dissociating. So I think do not discount the little the quote unquote little things. Right. And also I think what you touched on there of going slow, everybody hates that. But what I tell (laughs) people is that if we go slow, it allows us to go faster. And so many of us jump into this pool of healing. We cannonball in without knowing how to swim. And so if we can stop that, which is our normal habit. Cause religion is like, you got to be all in, right? Like, yep. so if we can yep. back that back up and we go, you know, what? I'm going to just stick a toe in there. So yeah, I'll do the green thing. And, and then I'm going to live my life. Right. Okay, great. Like that's totally fine. Um, we're just going to take one step in. And so then at therapy the next week, I might say to somebody, okay, so what did you notice with the green thing? 
oh, you know what? I actually noticed I was a little bit more present this week. Okay, great. Could we do that next week too? Do you want to add another color in? Do you want to try something else? And But it is all coming from within them rather than like, here is what you need to do in order to be okay. And that's a huge shift um, because then it really is your own process and not something that I or anybody am prescribing for you. I love that because it's so much of growing up in religion for me was being told by other people mm-hmm. what was right, what was wrong, what was okay, what was not. And there has been a great learning process. I think for every single person I've talked to who has left religion that is yeah. trying to figure out, I am now like the captain of my own life. And like, how the yeah. hell does that work? And how yeah. do I do that <laughs> with how, how do I kind of push back to on the guilt and the shame mm-hmm. of like prioritizing my mm-hmm. own feelings and my own needs? And how yeah. do I do that without swinging mm-hmm. too far on the pendulum to mm-hmm. now I'm really selfish and kind of an asshole? <laughs> like, yeah. How, where do I find the balance? Mm -hmm. How do I figure this out? And it's very tricky and it's very Mm -hmm. weird and it's hard. Um, but I, I really, I really like the, the baby steps. Um, Mm -hmm. and it, it sounds so simple. We talk about baby steps all the time. I ever, everyone talks about baby steps all the time, but like, it's a lot, it's a lot more beneficial in practice. I think, I think it can seem kind of silly and small, but like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think everyone that I know that has deconstructed can involve in and, Mm -hmm then Mm -hmm. got really burnt out and was like Mm -hmm. trying to just like tread water for a year and then like, Mm -hmm. couldn't like just felt like they were drowning and then had to just get out of the pool entirely and like (laughs) sit on, sit on the little bench for a little while and dry off because they were over it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if I had tiptoed in, it would have been a a heck of a lot more sustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, well, with all of that being said, Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. Oh, you're very I welcome. I feel like I could talk to you for two more hours about this. <laughs> yeah. um, but I want to give you a chance to, first of all, plug your book because mm. holy cow, I'm yeah. I'm very excited for it. I yeah. saw you announce it a few months back and I was like, yeah. oh my God. Because yeah. I, I constantly go on like Amazon and like look up like religious trauma books and I'm like, mm-hmm. where are they? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what yep. the heck? I want yep. there to be more of these. Yes. Um Especially there's a, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited for that. And I, I will definitely be promoting that on my own account just because I'm excited for it. I'll be buying it. But do you want to give a little bit of details about when that's coming out and then where to find you online, how to follow your work? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, this is it. If you're watching on anything, any videos, uh, it's called When Religion Hurts You, Healing from Religious Trauma and the Impact of High Control Religion. It is on sale worldwide wherever you purchase books and on Audible in October of 2023. So October 17th to be specific. Oh, it's coming up. We're recording on October 8th. So we are getting real close. Less than 10 days. It'll be out. Um, so of course you can go to my website, drlauraeanderson.com and there's, um, some like a book tab and there's like direct yeah. links to like a variety of, of, um, places that you can order it. But of course you can go to your local bookstore as well, or any of the big, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, things like that. Um, and then of course it's on audible as well, which for people who prefer to listen to books, which I know I often do. Um, so you can purchase it there. Um, and like I said, you can find me on my website at drlauraeanderson.com. That's where I'm on, um, TikTok and Instagram. My company is the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery. That's the online trauma coaching company. And we, um, we, everybody is, 
has a background in mental health and advanced trauma trainings and things like that. But we've all chosen to practice as coaches because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of reasons, which is a different conversation, but one of the biggest ones is accessibility. And, um, Mm. we have, we have clients literally from all over the world and they are able to get support because they couldn't in the countries or States or provinces that they lived in. And so we can provide that to them. Um, so that's, uh, trauma resolution and recovery.com. That's where we're at on Instagram as well. And then like you mentioned, the Religious Trauma Institute is what I co-founded. And um, we will, let's see, well, this will be airing in January, I think you said. So we will be offering some trainings at the end of 2023, which are going to span into 2024. We'll have consultation groups if you're a professional coach, advocate, like we've got all that stuff for people as well. So we are religious religioustraumainstitute.com and uh, religious trauma Institute, Instagram, Facebook. I don't think we have a TikTok yet. Um, but yeah, so really my website and Instagram is the best place to find me. I have a lot of other kind of fun projects going on, uh, other research. I write on Substack on a weekly basis. I've got a couple podcasts, the wise Jezebels and Sunday school dropouts. So I'm a lot of different places. <laughs> yeah. You have so many projects, but it's so funny because yeah. so many of your projects I have followed separately. And I know like, <laughs> sure. I didn't even, I didn't even know you were, because a lot of the religious trauma Institute for a while, we didn't see your guys' faces for a little while. Like at the beginning, it was a lot of just like content. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, I wasn't following you individually, but I was following mm. religious trauma Institute. And then when I started following you, I was like, wait a second. Like yeah. <laughs> these two yeah. things are connected and I've been yeah. following them separately, like totally unaware. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, you, you have, mm-hmm. you definitely have so many resources and really cool projects that are all individually very helpful in different ways, which is really cool. Mm, Um, and I will make sure to plug the heck out of them. Like I said, we've we've plugged the religious trauma Institute so many times on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I should say too, just because sometimes the religious trauma Institute is a bit more like, um, professional facing in terms of like trainings and whatnot for coaches, advocates, clinicians, things like that. Um, CTRR, so the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery is a bit more like client focused in terms cool. of like services. So we have individual couples coaching, group coaching, and then we're also going to be rolling out like courses, workshops, seminars that really are more for like people. It, it's not necessarily clinician focused where it's like, here's right. how you would might work with a client. It is client focused in terms of going like, hey, we're going to talk through this thing here, or we're going to you know, tools for this or whatever. So that will be coming in probably spring of 2024. Um, so yeah, you can check out, like I said, trauma resolution recovery.com and that will give you all the lowdown on all the resources that we have. Awesome. And when religion hurts you is coming out on October 17th. Is that what you said? That is correct. Yep. Awesome. Yay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm very welcome. I really, really, really do appreciate what you do and it has been impactful to me and I know it's been impactful to other people because I've heard from other people. Um, and so just, just thank you for doing what you do. There are, it can be a very isolating journey sometimes Mm -hmm. to unpack religion and it's always really helpful. The more resources, the better, like truly. So, so thank you so much. Um, and That's all the time that we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can rate us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and leave us a review. You can also follow the podcast at Mindful Minds Pod on Instagram and TikTok and online at mindfulmindspod.com. 
And um, you can also join our Facebook group that just launched and that will stay launched and then keep your eyes open for the sticker collection. And as always, to end our time and clench your jaw, take a deep breath and remember, you can always learn, you can always grow and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will see you guys next week.